What's up, everyone? Before I became a father back in 2010, I had never really thought much about parenting. To me, it was just an ordinary part of life, a natural, if not inevitable, step in the all-American adulthood. You grew up, got a job, got married, had kids, retired, and became the source of iced oatmeal cookies and stories of years past for a new generation. Now, with 40 on the horizon, I have both the benefit of hindsight and experience that I didn't have even a dozen years ago. I realized that, for many, parenthood is not a given, and it's a lot more than a consequence of procreation. It's a full-time job, whether you're employed or not, and it requires a hell of a lot more than it seems on the surface. And sure, it doesn't involve financial currency, but so what? The way I see it, I get paid in memories of moments spent together with these incredible little people that I had helped to create. Shout out to Heather for doing all the hard work, though. ESPN personality Tony Reale once said after suffering an unimaginable tragedy in his personal life that parenting is all about letting go, and I couldn't agree more. In fact, hearing him say that helped me to realize what my true role is as a father. It's not just about being there for my kids, and it isn't about building this synaptic scrapbook with them either. My job is to prepare them as best as I can to be fully functioning, self-actualized adults, to serve as their guide as they find their own paths forward. It is also often said that parents are their children's first teachers, and I think that's spot on too. The way I see it, one of the most critical functions I can serve is to introduce my kids to things, to teach them about as much as I can, and then to let them pursue whatever it is that they connect with. In certain instances, I might be better equipped to take them further along those trails, but, in just about all of them, there will come a point where I will best suit them by letting someone else lead the way. It's a humbling thought to think that I can't meet every need they'll have, but it's also an important and realistic revelation. We can't all be experts in every possible arena of life, and I am an ardent believer in expertise. I would much rather have them learn from someone who has devoted themselves to mastering something, whether it's a sport, a skill, or a hobby. Because, in my eyes, I am then maximizing the likelihood that my kids will succeed on those particular paths. There is, perhaps, no better example of this than with basketball. I enjoyed having the opportunity to coach all three of my kids at the rec level, but I knew that, once they demonstrated their commitment to that direction, I had to get out of their way and lead them from behind. My singular focus was equipping them with the absolute best training and coaching possible, which is how we wound up at the hoop lab, and, in Sarah's case, with my guest today. After working extensively with Zach and Coltsneck, Monroe, and finally Freehold, it was clear that Sarah was ready to make the leap into the AAU circuit. There was no shortage of programs to choose from, but I knew that I wanted Sarah to play for a coach who would help her to develop as a player and as a person. I figured that Zach might be able to recommend someone, and so I asked him if he knew of anyone who would be a good fit. His response was immediate. Have her speak to Sarah Desner. I had heard the name floating around before and was pretty sure that I had seen her at Monroe, but I didn't know her personally. Zach was kind enough to reach out to her on our behalf and to put us in contact. The next thing I knew, my daughter Sarah was being invited to attend a practice for the 5th grade Shore Aces team at Monroe. I understood that this was purely for evaluation's sake, especially with Sarah only just starting 4th grade, and I was grateful that Coach Desner was even willing to give her a glance, and so my expectations for the evening were limited at best. I watched through the glass as the practice began and Sarah got in line for the ball handling drills. My heart perched itself in my throat as I watched her maneuvering her way around obstacles, putting up layups with both hands, making good passes, 
and sinking some jump shots as the evening progressed. The pride I felt for her that night was indescribable, and so when the practice was done, I couldn't wait to give her a hug and to tell her what a great job I thought she did. I sought out Coach Desner, who was about to coach a game, to thank her and to see if she had any feedback or directions I could begin to focus on with Sarah, and she stunned me by offering her a spot on the team, saying that she thought it would be a great fit for her. A few weeks later, we went to Pennsylvania for Sarah's first game, and I watched with equal measures of awe and angst as she made her way over to the scorer's table midway through the first half. She looked totally at ease while I had a tornado whirling inside of me. She wound up scoring four points, made some great defensive plays, and looked like she belonged out on the court. What began that night, though, was far more than Sarah's tenure as a member of her first AAU team. It was our introduction to the Shore Aces family, and the beginning of my appreciation for one of the best coaches I have ever had the pleasure of watching. My daughter has played every season since for Coach Desner, garnering more responsibility and playing opportunities with each one, while my respect for Des has only grown. It was apparent to me from that first practice that she was, and is, so much more than just a coach. She is a leader of women who strives to set the right tone through both her actions and her expectations. She is an entrepreneur whose fearlessness has enabled her to break down barriers of entry in the male-dominated realm of basketball. More than that, though, she's a mentor to her players, a woman they can look up to and whose example they can be proud to follow. In youth sports, you're lucky if you can find a coach who is passionate about the game, or passionate about the kids. Luckier still if that person is as knowledgeable and skilled when it comes to coaching. With Sarah Destner, we hit the jackpot as she checks off all of those boxes and so many more. You can tell that she truly cares about the girls as individuals, wants to see them succeed both on and off the court, and does everything that she can to set them up for that success. She keeps her expectations high and demands a lot out of them, but mostly because of a similar philosophy that I had adopted when it comes to parenting. She wants them to demand a lot out of themselves. Now in her first season as an assistant coach at Georgian Court University, Des's Shore Aces program is thriving, Des Hoops LLC is booming, and she is as busy as you could possibly imagine. And even with all of that going on, she was still kind enough to sit down and to speak with me about her experiences as a coach, a businesswoman, and a role model for generations of the young women who were fortunate enough to play for her. Today I'm fortunate to be sitting with Sarah Desner, assistant women's basketball coach at Georgian Court University in Lakewood, go Lions, owner of Des Hoops LLC, and founder of Shore Aces Basketball. Aside from coaching at both the college and AAU levels, you run clinics and skill sessions and really just serve as a mentor for so many of these young women who were lucky enough to play for you. I know that your time and attention are both in high demand right now, so let me begin by thanking you so much for being willing to be a guest on my podcast. Oh yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so it's obvious to me that basketball is far more than a profession or even a hobby for you. It seems like something that you are passionate about and have been for a long time. When did you first fall in love with the game? That's a great question. I started playing the game around four or five recreation. Um, I was really into it, but I was mostly a softball player. I grew up with a big baseball background, so I played baseball my entire life and then transitioned into softball. Um, I was actually better at that than basketball, but the love for the game kind of happened, I would say, around middle school when most of my friends were playing, and I got to hang out with my friends most of the time, and then I started to pick up some things learning-wise. Um, I started watching a lot of college basketball, not so much NBA, but that's where I really fell in love with the game, and then 
coaching wise, I think high school, I just fell in love with coaching because uh, we had a very good team and I was able to sit the bench and learn and be able to pick up on some coaching things. So oh, my mind's blown right now. I know <laughs> that, that's so cool though. And I'm really glad for what it's worth that basketball won out. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> And so are you from, you're not from the area around here originally, right? Yes. Yeah, so I was born in the Bronx, but I grew up in this area. So I lived in Freehold and then most of my life I lived in Jackson. Okay, cool. Yeah. I wasn't sure because there's like a world of difference between basketball in the city and then basketball out here. Yeah, I was never um, introduced to basketball in the city. My first introduction into basketball was in Freehold. That's where I played rec. And, and then when I moved to Jackson, I was able to play travel and then got into middle school. Oh, wow. Sports. Okay. So your history with like Jackson specifically goes back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes back to I moved there in fourth grade. I'd say sixth grade. I started travel and things like that. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So then, what were some of the challenges that you faced as a player yourself, and how did those struggles help you to help to inspire you with what you do today? Sure. So I think being short never helped, um, but but it did make me work on other things. Um, I became a really good shooter, and that's pretty much what kept me on the floor. But I never invested time defensively. And when I went, got to high school, Rachel always was like, you can score, you can score, you can score, but you're not playing defense. You're, I was never like taking getting in shape really seriously. And looking back on it now, obviously, I was like, wow, yeah, I was complacent. Um, and that's what I try and teach the kids now, not to get in that area and think you're good enough. So high school, definitely a lot of challenges. I played with great players, a lot of Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, a lot of college basketball players. So I sat the bench a lot, and I was able to learn from the players, and I was able to learn coaching. And I think it really made me a better player, and it really made me the coach I am now. Did you have experience with different programs and different teams, or were you kind of with the same? Yeah, so same I played thing? Jackson Travel, and then when I got into – I want to say my freshman year of high school, I played for um, Mid-Jersey Lady Heat for this guy named Ricardo Vellman. He's great. He was a police officer, um, very strict, and then uh, Rachel. So that was all the teams, yeah. Cool. Yeah, see, I think it's important for kids to be able to have different teams and different experiences. Like where we live in Hazlitt, it's, it's kind of weird. A lot of the teams that come from other sports try to stick together. So in other words, like the baseball team, the coach wants them to be the basketball team, or right. the soccer team and stuff. And I think it's, one, it's beneficial for kids to be in different environments, different coaches, different teammates, all that. But also, like on one team, a kid could be the star and the number one starter yeah. and then be a bench player somewhere else. Yep. And there's a benefit to be to actually being be both, both at the same time, yeah, I think. I agree. And just as far as like the height thing goes too, that drives me nuts when I hear, I don't usually hear it from coaches or mm -hmm. at least good coaches yeah. that like, oh, you know, if, if you're not tall, you can't play basketball. Obviously it's an asset, right? Yeah. If you have a six, seven guard, you're going to be mm -hmm. pretty happy. Of course. But I and think they're going to play in the NBA yeah, or the but, WNBA. <laughs> oh, for sure. But I always preferred playing with not shorter players necessarily, but I found that when I played with shorter players, they always seemed to play harder and they were more... Not, crafty is not the right word, but they were more resourceful. I agree. Like, because you're, you have to find ways to get your shot off over taller players or get under them and stuff. And yeah. so I never really experienced that from coaches, and I definitely don't coach that way either. It was more of a me thing, like, oh, I was so much shorter than other people, but it helped me. I really learned how to do different things. And like you said, re be resourceful and learn how to you know work really hard and get really good at certain things. So you mentioned earlier that you were introduced to coaching or your interest in coaching pretty early on in high school. Uh, what made you decide to take that route professionally? I think 
during high school, I was a leader. I was able to see the court from the bench. And then when I got in, I think I made adjustments well. Um, and then I played for one of the best coaches in the area. So that helps. Um, but in college, I was going to be criminal justice. I was a criminal justice major. I thought that was my route in life. Um, I liked college courses, but I didn't really like the application of it. Um, and then when I came home every winter break, Rachel let me coach with her. So I think that really honed in what I wanted to do. Once I left college, I went to grad school and was like, no, I still, maybe basketball is just coaching on the side. And then um, I moved to Florida, tried to get my PhD. I came back and I just wanted to coach basketball. Like, that was my main focus. I wanted to be great at it. So I really um, focused on that being my career path. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's it's an interesting point, right? I feel like some of the best coaches, it's not just that they, they have a high basketball IQ. It's not just that they understand, you know, the game or even how to interact with, you know, players, refs or whatever. I feel like there's some external experiential factor that leads to it. So, for example, you mentioned criminal justice. For me, not that I'm a great coach, but my interest in coaching or my success in coaching, I think, stemmed in part from my edu my educational background, being able to handle a room, full, you know, 30 teenagers translates pretty well to uh you definitely. know rec basketball team and definitely stuff. So <laughs> i definitely think it's important to have that so one of the things that struck me when we first met was your dedication to everything that you do and the level of expectations that you set not just for your players but really for yourself is that something that helped you to create your own programs like uh shore aces or did it manifest maybe as a necessity from you know your experiences with running those programs well, when I really got into coaching, I set my mind on holding myself to a certain standard. So I really don't care what age you are. I hold you to certain standards as well. And I think some parents like that. Some parents don't. Some players like it. Some players don't. But I always have parents come up and be like, oh, you're so tough on them. But this is their favorite team because they feel like they learn something. Um, but that's because I hold myself to a certain expectation. And when I see maybe we're not executing or this person's not acting a certain way on or off the court, I take that personally. Oh, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So yeah, that's what it really stemmed from. Yeah. Well, one of the things that stuck with me from my, my graduate school experience was this line that kids will rise or fall to the level of expectations that you set, whether it's in the classroom, on the court, wherever. And that just sort of resonated with me. And that's, I always set the bar super high for myself. And I love whenever I see that in someone else, because the kids that are able to meet that standard will, and the ones that don't, you know, you're hurting the other kids who would try harder by lowering, you know, the bar, or the expectations. Exactly. I agree because you can't have different expectations for different people. Now you could treat them differently in terms of their personality, how they take certain way, how you deliver certain things. But when it comes to expectations, I hold everyone to a high standard. Yeah. Well, and it, it's always funny when I, you know, when we're playing other teams or, or I encounter, you know, parents who haven't seen you coach or, or aren't familiar with it because there was a game, I think the Aces were up like 14 to one. It was, it was a, a good game, but the girls blew like four or five layups. And the next thing I know, there's a timeout and they're all doing pushups on the side. I love that because it's accountability. Some of the parents didn't know, not from, from the Aces yeah. teams, but from the other team, they, they couldn't, you know, figure out what the heck was going on, but I got it and I appreciated it. Um, now in terms of, the ACEs specifically, when did you create that program and what led you to, to do that? So that was two years ago, I want to say. Two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, I was working here at Monroe and I was doing teams for them. And I really, I was doing some boys teams, some girls teams. I really wanted a place for there to be all girls teams and all girls program with 
female coaching. So that was my idea. I ended up taking all the teams. Um, and then now I have some help as well with other female coaches that help me, but that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted females everywhere, building them up and being able to, you know, young girls take it differently coming from a female, then we can say certain things and they'll be like, okay. And if it's a male, it's kind of delivered a little differently. Oh, absolutely. And one, it's funny, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because one of the things that drives me nuts is this notion of the women's game, like women's basketball and men's basketball. For me, it's all ball. It's, it's all and basketball. Even going <clears throat> I didn't always look at it that way. When I was in junior high school, I, you know, I still had those stupid, well, basketball's a boy sport of thing course. or whatever. And I was playing, maybe early high school, and I was playing against these two girls. One girl I knew for a while, I knew she could really, really hoop, but this other girl was newer, and I didn't think much of it until somebody put up a shot and I just stood there like a dope, like the baby bird, like just hands up. And when I tell you, she boxed me out so hard that it folded me in half. And I realized, whoa, wait a second. Like, you know, the, the adjectives that are used to describe the men's game, tough, strong, whatever. I'm like, no, that, that's, that goes both ways. 100%. And in, in Brooklyn, there was this hoop it up tournament. It was a three on three thing. And that's my one regret basketball wise, because if I could have gone in with those two girls, Mm -hmm. we would have destroyed teams. And it's funny because I always, you could always tell how people look at the game by how they look at like the women's players. 100%. Yes. It's really, it's funny because if you watch men play against women, not all men, but some men play against women, they'll play down. Women will play harder. Um, when I went to college, I didn't play college basketball, but I got a group of friends and we all played basketball six hours a day. And at minimum, we'd be in there all day. At a certain point, I became known as the girl. Like some people didn't even know my name, but they knew like, okay, she's gonna come in. Like we, we wanna stay on the court, we have to play. But when I first got in, like people wouldn't guard me. No one wanted to check up. Like they would just stand there looking at each other. Oh, who's gonna guard the girl? Like, and then it became a funny joke. Like, oh, the girl's here. And I became friendly with a lot of them, but it's silly. It's all basketball. And if you are a true hooper, you don't wanna go into the gym and have anyone take you lightly. Oh, no, not at all. And and that's the thing. Like, one of the girls, I believe she wound up playing at the University of Maine. Like, she went pretty wow. far for herself. And, and unfortunately, there's also that extra layer of, like, physical appearance, right? So especially if you're a pretty girl who plays of basketball, course. then you deal with a whole separate slew of exactly. issues. And I remember, like, I would see some of these guys that come up and they, you know, they'd side-eye her and say, like, oh, you sure you're ready for this, sweetheart? Mm-hmm. And I would just laugh because I'm like, dude, you're not you're ready not for ready. this. You're not ready. And it's funny, like, it, it gave me, even before I even had dreams of having a daughter or anything, like, a, a greater appreciation for the game overall, but specifically for, you know, th- that interaction. Yeah. Um, but like you said, what's important, too, I think, is girls having role models in prominent positions. And that's one of the things that I respect about you so much is you do so many different things and do it so well that you're leading by example. And I think that's so important. Not that it's not prevalent, but... Like you said, it just hits different for for girls, not just to hear it from another female, but to see somebody in that and and to see it. And um, that's something I want to get into later, one of the events that we did Mm -hmm. and and how inspiring it was, not just for my daughter, Sarah, but for me, too. Um, And so 
one of the the other things that I wanted to do with this podcast specifically is to shine some light on either creative or professional contributions of people that I think were underappreciated or just undervalued. Um, and that's kind of basically what this is with with women's game. It's until UConn uh, started going on their tear, nobody that I knew spoke about women's basketball yeah. at all, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. And even when UConn put put the women's college game on the map, it still took years for it to get to the level that it's at now. Um, I'm curious, though, how do you think the game is viewed now versus when you first started watching it? Is, there, is it a better, worse place, the same? So I grew up watching Candace Barker and Pat Summit. I was a huge Tennessee fan. Um, and I think now social media is double-edged sword. So I think it helps because people like Paige Beckers and Kelsey Plum when she played in college and Sabrina Ionescu and Caitlin Clark, those big players, um, Asia Wilson when she was in college, they are able to make a name for themselves and people tune in to watch. Like Even the WNBA finals, most watched WNBA games in the history of WNBA. And I think social media does help with that. Um, but, and then you have the comments, of course, but I think the game itself has evolved. I was actually having this conversation the other day, Becky Hammond coming in to coach a WNBA team that's scoring 90 points, a hundred points, and sometimes fast paced. She actually did an interview the other day and she said, they asked her, I assume the NBA job was better, but how do you like this one? Because it's the NBA. And she was like, uh, no. She said, this is a better job. She goes, first of all, the NBA, I have no time with my family. I have no time with anyone I love. The NBA, you are there all day, every day, 24-7, you're thinking about the game. She said, here, I'm having so much fun, and I get to bring things that I learned in the NBA to the WNBA. And now you see teams moving faster, um, implementing those NBA concepts, which have always been there, but some coaches – don't use them because, oh, this is a women's game and they use different concepts. But even like the Las Vegas Aces scoring 90 points a game, sometimes even more, um, really changed the game, I think. And it can only get better from here. For, for sure. And I'm sure you look at it this way too, right? That it's a backhanded compliment. Whenever someone speaks about the women's game, they always talk about how fundamentally sound it right. is. And it's like, I, at first you think, well, that's a good thing, you know, but what they're really saying is, is that it lacks you know, the excitement or athleticism, dunking. right. Yes. Which is essentially all it is. Mm-hmm. And I, th- it's weird. I think the, the movement towards this like run and gun kind of offense on, on the NBA side, especially mm-hmm. with like the, the increase in three point percentage and, yep. and shots taken and stuff, I think in a way is benefiting the women's game because it's, it's a concurrent evolution it on is. both sides. And so it helps. But you know, and, and in terms of Becky Hammond, I'm so glad that you brought her up because, you know, UConn is great, but Gino Auriem is the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's a guy in the, the women's game. And right. yet again, th- there's all kinds of stipulations with that. Yeah. Thankfully, you've got Pat Summit, Tara mm-hmm. Vanderveer. You know, there's a slew of unbelievable yeah. female coaches in those positions, but there's still that stigma. And then there's Becky Hammond. For me, now, as, a, as a Heat fan, the Spurs give me nightmares, but <laughs> as an organization, there's really no group that I respect more than what they do there, whether it's personnel, player development, all that stuff. They do it what I consider the, the right way. And so for Becky Hammond to have started in that organization, I don't, 
again, this is obviously just an external perspective, but I feel like she was treated no differently than any other coach coming through. She had to, you know, earn her stripes and work her way through the, the ranks, and she did it pretty quickly. Yeah, because, that's what it seems. Yeah. From, from outside, from not being in the organization, obviously, that's right. what it seems like. Right, and she, well. she was an incredible player, and so she brings that whole separate side to, you know, to the coaching job, but she's also an incredible coach, and I think those two things coalesced, and it was just natural for her to move up, whether I thought, she, to be honest, I thought she would be an NBA head coach before she'd be a WNBA head As coach. As did I. But the fact that she went this path, I think, is even better because she came in as a rookie, right? It wasn't it her first year this, yeah. this year? So mm-hmm. rookie head coach. Mm-hmm. Won the championship. Won it. It's, oh, and, and the the Aces had made it uh, during the pandemic year, right? Yeah. The, the, when the Bill Lambier was a coach, yeah. And yeah. it was oh. super slow. Yeah, and they, they really were upset that they lost. I mean, at that time, Kelsey Plum was coming off the bench. They had Liz Cambage slowing everything down. Now, Kelsey Plum starts. Everything is so much faster, yeah. Yeah, but I... Just from watching the, the Aces games this season, because of course now that's Sarah's favorite team. Yeah. Uh, so, just watching them, it's it starts from the top down. Like I think, and maybe part of it is a little bit of fear because Becky Hammond, when she gets into it, she really gets yeah. into it. Um, but I think the the players bought into whatever it was that she was, you know, not selling them, but but yeah. her perspective and stuff, and they wanted to win for her and, and meet that level of expectation. And I see that in you and with your players too. Like they they're not afraid of letting you down, and you encourage and enable them to take chances and to you know to do those things to make mistakes even of course by building them up rather than tearing them down of course and I think that there's been coaches that I've seen I've never I mean I've never really had a coach that is super negative but I don't want to be that coach because I see that and it really will break down players especially at this age young players um not saying that you shouldn't correct them, but everyone's going to make mistakes. They should learn from those mistakes. Now they make four, five, six mistakes in a row. Then you got to come out. We got to talk about it. But seeing you make a mistake and then immediately making a correction, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. And not every coach does it. And I love to the you are very intense without being overly like yelling. I don't know what the adjective would be, but like there are some coaches and some teachers who were yellers, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody that I know can name the teacher that yelled the most or whatever. And almost never will that teacher be among their favorites. They remember them, but for the wrong reasons. And it extends to coaching too. And I don't, I don't get it personally. That's not my style. I don't see a reason ever to to raise my voice like that, especially at my own players. Um, and so you're able, you're living proof of like that mentality that I bring too, where, you know, you can get the most out of people without being abusive and, and going for it. Um, and unfortunately, so I was speaking with a parent uh, from one of the team Swish teams and she was talking about Rachel, Coach Rachel Goodell mm-hmm. from Jackson Memorial yes. High School. And unfortunately, the girls were playing in a tournament and it was a male coach that they were going up against. And apparently this guy was unbelievably condescending. And I was appalled to hear just in general the kinds of things that this guy was saying. But the fact that it was to Rachel, who is like, I mean, just she's the Yoda of basketball. Yeah, they they have no idea. Right, exactly. But it's just it's it's an extra unnecessary layer uh, of, you know crap that you have to deal with in an already demanding and difficult job yeah. um is that something that you personally have encountered in terms of like male coaches and oh, stuff yeah. and how have you navigated that yeah um male coach honestly i've seen it from both male female coaches i don't know if it's necessarily male or female but it's more like how they are as individuals and that's how they coach too they're screaming at their players they're screaming at the coaches they're screaming at the refs and yeah i encounter that of course especially me i look 
very, I mean, I'm 28, I'm young, but I look very young and people don't understand how long I've been doing this. <laughs> right. Right. They, yeah. they draw and make assumptions based on, on right appearances. Yeah. And it's also, it, it frustrates me because I think there's a parallel between like, let's say the corporate world and sports, right? Where for it's a double standard essentially like as a woman if you are very firm and strict and intense and stern in the business world you may be called a bitch or or, you know it's not viewed as an asset but if a guy does the exact same thing in the exact same way well he's a leader he's holding strong and i feel like that double standard exists in coaching too definitely because you know you're i don't know it's almost like you can't win we see that a lot from refs i mean i know a lot of good referees and officials and I'm not trying to bash them. <laughs> I was a referee as well. But we do see that a lot. Like, if we're coaching against, I mean, we had an instance when I was coaching at Jackson two years ago. We had an instance where the the other coach, male coach, male referee, or ha-ha, he, and he's laughing the whole time. He's screaming at the other referees, nothing. And we said something about a three-second call, and he gave us a technical. So it's I see that a lot there. Um, in terms of other coaches, they're usually pretty professional in terms of the high school setting. Now, this setting where it's kind of AU travel, yeah, you can – There's it's a little different. Well, there's no <laughs> – at least in high school, there's a vetting process, exactly. of course, right? Like you yeah. can be uh, – and personally, it drives me nuts when I hear people talk about parent coaches, right? And I, I understand what they mean. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between uh, what I consider like a daddy ball coach whose yeah. kid is the star player, has no business being in – you know, maybe right. on the team at all. That, in terms of parent coaching, I get it. But there are plenty of really good coaches who have kids. Who, Absolutely. They're, the reason, you know, they're just skilled coaches who kids also happen to play. Absolutely. Um, but, again, like you said with AAU, that vetting process isn't there. So anybody can take a team and call themselves an AAU coach exactly. or the program. So I, I can imagine that would be frustrating for someone of your experience to go up against someone like that who yeah. – you know, hasn't learned. And with the refs, the only thing that drives me nuts is just inconsistently. If you're going to call it, if you're not going to call something, don't call it for both teams, you know, just be fair. That's, you know, I agree. So, (laughs) um, well, so how do you feel about co-ed basketball? Because this is something that bothers me going back to my daughter, Sarah's flag football, uh, days. So she's played on co-ed teams. She happened to play on an, on an all girls team that went undefeated right to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, that was really the most eye-opening experience I've had as a parent involved in sports because the belly aching that went on when boys teams lost to her girls team was unbelievable. (laughs) And unfortunately not, probably not all that uncommon. Um, but it made me you know, and again, there were complaints about like other male teams that got the one girl mm-hmm. that, you know, got stuck and thrown on the team yeah. and she got in for the one play or two plays and that's it. To me, like it, it shouldn't matter. It should be based on skill. But what, what are your thoughts in terms of either AAU or like just that level where maybe kids start to separate into their specific genders? Yeah, I don't mind co-ed at all. That's I played baseball my entire life. And when I was old, I always play pickup now with men. I think it's more of a comfortability factor and it all stems from the parents. Like if a parent comes home and their kids, you know, talking about, Oh, I lost to a girl. It's how you react, not how you can change that behavior. Who cares who it is? So I think, you know, play co-ed, play with your, if you're comfortable playing, I, I think you can only get better. Like when I coached high school, even coaching college, go play pickup with men. It's makes you stronger. Um, 
it really does help your game. You learn how to do different things um, in terms of, because men are taller and stronger. Um, you learn how to finish around the rim a little differently and things can translate to the game. But yeah, I don't see a problem with that. It's all about when you go home, how your parents react. Right, and unfortunately, it, you're 100% right. It's really more of a perspective issue than anything else. And these antiquated ideas that are just continuing to, to prope- uh, propel themselves forward, it's it's unnecessary. Like, and even, This may sound silly, but this drove me nuts. I've heard at least two or three times uh, parents on the sidelines talking about like, oh, either good good thing that you know that girl was wearing knee pads, or all the girls should wear knee pads. And I've bit my tongue every time, but it drives me nuts because I've literally never heard them say that about boys. boys, Like, and you know, I understand why you would want to wear knee pads, but treat the girl like they're out there, they're basketball players. Exactly. If they don't want to wear them, don't, don't make them wear them. them. Who cares? Right. You know, like poor Sarah. My Sarah comes home bruised half the time. Sometimes it's her own fault. Yeah. And sometimes She's it's all not. over the place, right. diving she, and working hard. Yeah. Right. And, she, and it shouldn't matter, you know, but again, it's those ideas of like, oh, even uh, you throw like a girl. When I was yeah. growing up, that was not a nice thing to say. Right. And now like, <laughs> you know, at least for her and her friends from football and stuff, they take it as a compliment. Yeah. They're like, oh, thank you. Right. Which it should be. <laughs> That's exactly. awesome. Good. Um, and so going back to the ACES stuff. So back in, I think it was March, uh, you had the parent-daughter event mm. at yes. CJB. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome because it wasn't just a bonding opportunity for me and Sarah. It was really valuable time for her specifically. So you had all these different basketball components, and it was great. It really was. It was a lot of fun. But as great as the basketball stuff was, it was the listening opportunities that I think were the most valuable and important ones uh, because those girls got to hear from you, from your mom, and then Coach Rachel. Do you see yourself conducting similar events in the future, or do you have any you know, plans for doing some kind of dedicated like mentoring program maybe? Yeah, definitely. I loved that event. That was so much fun. We tried to do it again, um, and then my schedule got messed up, but I definitely want to do it again. Um, I think that like you said, it's more than the basketball component. I had my mom speak. I had Rachel speak, who's a mother. Um, and we got different perspectives. And I think it was great. It was so much fun. That's definitely probably my favorite clinic that I've ever done. Um, and then, you know, it's I always, when I thought about the ACEs, I always wanted to make it a family atmosphere. Um, when you go to a facility and you just get put on a team and then that's your team for that season, then you might get moved to another team or whatever. I didn't want that. Um, I wanted a family atmosphere, and I think that clinics like that and any type of gathering, like we had the banquet, um, that was, I always want to do more than just basketball. And, and even that, again, it's it's more than just the superficial stuff. So the banquet on its head, you know, like on its face, great fun night for the girls or whatever, but you could really see how much fun they had together just being there. And like, yeah. you really have built this camaraderie across, the amazing part is it's across age groups too. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, not that the high school kids were hanging out with yeah. the littler ones, but still like right. they all, I think there's like a sense of pride that the girls all have as being under that, the, the ACEs umbrella. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you have for young younger girls uh, that have either their own hoop dreams or maybe just bigger aspirations off the court? Yeah, I always, I pretty much say the same thing every time someone asks me this or if a player asks me this. Work hard, that's obvious, work hard. But just because you don't play every minute of every game and you don't go and play college or whatever overseas or professionally doesn't mean that your basketball dream dies. You can always get into coaching. You can always get into training. You can always get into broadcasting something 
that you love so much, that's such a big part of your life, you can always keep in your life and it doesn't have to be on the court. Oh, I love it. And it it's frustrating for me because all three of my kids, all three of my kids say that they want to play college and professional basketball. And that's I love awesome. it. It's great. Um, it's challenging because it requires a lot. I'm one of those people that if, if I'm in on something, I'm all in. Yeah. And so that's why we, we're doing what we're doing. But I'll speak to people about it, and they always sort of chuckle, and they say, yeah, you know, my kids want to be professional basketball players too. But, you know, what is it, 2%, 1% of people make it? You know, I, I know better. I know they're not going to make it. Yeah. And for me, that mentality is is – hurtful to the kids because, okay, realistically, there's a difference to me between saying they're definitely going to make it Mm -hmm. and, you know, being out of touch with their, you know, uh, possibilities or opportunities or whatever and saying, well, we're going to try and give it the best that we can because if we shoot for, let's say Sarah shoots for the WNBA, but she makes it to college and no further, well, you know what? She made it to college. Let's say she shoots for college and and has a really good high school career and then goes into, you know, something else. Um, it could be something that, you know, can translate into a career down the road, uh, like you said, in, in, in other avenues. And it's it's funny because we were introduced to you from Zach mm-hmm. uh, over at Hoop Lab. And that's, that opened my eyes, too, to those other opportunities, whether it's skills training, broadcasting, or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, I like that. It's I think it's I don't advice. think there's a reason to shoot down any person's dreams. I mean, it's like you said, it's one thing to say, no, my kid is definitely making it. And why don't they play and practice like they are going into the WNBA? And then if they don't make it, they know they did everything that they could to do to get there. Right, exactly. And one of the the beautiful things about sports is there's so many intangible, you know, character traits that you develop through the process. And that's the thing. Like, listen, when I was 15 or 16, I couldn't do half the stuff that my kids are doing. Even my little guy at eight, like he he goes and, you know, has a practice at hoop group for an hour and then shoots straight to his travel practice for an hour and a half. He's not getting home till late 30. And he's, Homework, dinner, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and guess what? As soon as he finishes all of that, he's shooting hoops in his room. Right. Like, so that's that's what I mean. Like, it's my job to help develop that. And it's incremental. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like, you know, you can't make that leap from being a child basketball player to a professional. Yeah. But there's lots of incremental steps and, and smaller successes that build up to the bigger ones. Yeah. Um, so I know you've got a, a huge fall and winter ahead of you. Uh, this is your first season as an assistant coach yes. at Georgia Court. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Super cool that you got the gig. Uh, what can you tell us about that program and what lies ahead for you in 2023? Sure. So um, Coach Yasmina Perazic is the head coach there. She gave me the opportunity. As someone that's never coached college, I really do appreciate it, and I'm, I've learned so much already. Um, she's a big, big, big advocate for – being your best self, whether that's on the basketball court, off the basketball court, academics, everything. She understands that academics is the number one thing. Going into that, um, I think it's definitely a different perspective than a lot of college coaches. Um, She's not worried about her job or herself. She's worried about actually impacting the lives of young women. And I really connected with that. And I think it's going to be a great opportunity we should be a pretty good team, um, and I'm excited for that. Yeah. Cool. And so will you continue to, to coach the Aces and, and build those programs? Yeah, so, or? yeah, so all the young young kids I'm good with, and I'll, I'll continue to coach them as long as I can, um, fifth, sixth, seventh. They're, yep. 
Cool. Well, I can tell you that the Benikis can't wait to attend a game to cheer you guys on. Uh, and we're incredibly grateful for all the opportunities that you've given to Sarah to develop as a basketball player and as a young woman. She has aspirations, like I said, of playing in college someday. And I feel like my job as her dad is to put her in the best possible positions to take those incremental steps that I mentioned before. To see how much she's improved in really just a year since she first started playing with you is, is remarkable. And it's reassuring to know that she's on the right path and that she has someone like you helping her along that path. Um, and it's up to her to, to make the most of those moments, but it still takes someone to give them those opportunities. And yeah, so we really honestly, appreciate it's that. it's a pleasure. <laughs> Sarah is not someone I have to worry about diving on the floor. It's not even about basketball with her. She's just having fun. She's always a great teammate. All the girls love her on both teams. It's, oh, Sarah, Sarah, hey, hey. Like we do partner stuff the other day at practice. They're like, Sarah, 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 Sarah. But it's not because of how good she is at basketball. And she's a very good player, especially how young she is. It has nothing to do with that. It's personality. It's how they see her play on the court. So it's a pleasure. Trust Thank me. you. Yeah, of no, it, it means a lot too because we really do feel like a part of the Aces family. And that, that means a lot to her to have that, that camaraderie yeah. and stuff. Um, so thanks again to Coach Desner for joining me today on the Mishmash Podcast. And thank you to all of you for listening wherever and whenever you are. Thank you so much. 